Yo, what is going on everybody? It's your boy Marshall live and I am live and we are back with another episode of the Marshall Gillen Show, episode 139 to be exact. And for those of you who have never seen the show, never heard the show before, I started making this podcast originally back in 2016 as a way to share with the younger version of Marshall. I was like, dude, I'm doing this for the 17-year-old version of me. I'm taking away all of his excuses and anything that could possibly limit him and hold him back from accomplishing the life of his dreams. I literally took this silly little podcast and turn it into a seven-figure speaking career. And now we bring on guests, just like the guest we're gonna have today, to share a little bit about their story, to help take away some of your excuses, and to give you permission to start chasing your dreams. Today, I'm very excited to welcome to the show for episode 139, my good friend, Monique Davis. We in for a treat today, Gillen Gang. You are gonna love this episode. Do me a favor, if you're watching this, give me a like, give me a love. Let me know that you're here. Miss Monique, good morning. I'm good. How are you? I'm fabulous. Where are you calling in from today? I'm in SoCal today. Okay, SoCal. Where at in SoCal? Like, are you in LA, SoCal, or? No, down by San Diego in Temecula. Okay, cool. I lived in Southern California, as some of our listeners know, for uh, for 13 years. And I'm not trying to stir up any trouble today, but there's a (laughs) massive difference between being from, like, LA County, SoCal, and then even being down there a little bit further from San Diego. So I never really fit into the LA crowd too much, which is why I ended up here in Montana. I'm headed to Montana pretty close to you soon. So now, you were, are you now were you born here in Montana or is it you just own property here in Montana? So when I was growing up, I spent my summers and winters in Whitefish. Okay. That's okay. I, and then I spent, you know, the rest of the time with my mom down here in Southern California. So I own property there now. Um, yeah. that I'm moving too soon, but yeah. That's like, that's something I dream, man. If I could, if I could own property in Southern California, like Temecula, or even like someday when I'm really rich, like La Jolla Shores or something, and have a spot here in Montana, I mean, that's the dream life. But real quick to all the listeners and viewers, if you're thinking about coming to Montana or moving to Montana, don't, you'll hate it. It's the worst state. I think we're pretty much at capacity anyway, so I'm not even sure you can get in. Go to Texas or something, Colorado, you'll be good. <laughs> really cold like miserably cold <laughs> I'm so glad and I'm so honored to have you on the show today something I want to dive right into with you uh, and something I really want to focus on for our listeners and, and definitely for everybody but especially for women because what I want to talk about today you you represent and you live so excellent and we'll get into that in a second but I really I bring guys on here all the time and it's easy for us to go rah 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 and, and let's go out and dominate but sometimes we need another perspective and so having you today I know we're going to create a, a lot of permission and a lot of space for all of our listeners and first and foremost Monique you've got a ton of stuff going on in your life I mean like you and not just like where one of them is just a little thing like you have massive things going on in a bunch of them so just to give the audience some context before we dive into today's conversation Tell us a little bit about what it is that Monique does, uh, the wide array of things she's got going on and kind of all the things she's got up in the air right now. So I, first and foremost, um, my profession, I'm an ER nurse. I've been an ER nurse for the last 10 years. Um, I am in school for my doctorate in nursing practice and psych mental health for adolescents. Um, And then I build, sell, flip, uh, invest in all kinds of different properties. 
So I'm coaching parents and teens in crisis. I've been doing that for a while. I started out with kids and then figured out that if you don't help the parents, the kids go back to the same behaviors. So now I work a lot um, with parents and kids as a whole family. So that's the stuff I have going on currently. I mean, that's a lot. I mean, my mom went to nursing school. I'm not for a doctorate or anything else. So you're telling me that your regular profession every day is you're an ER nurse while you're studying for your doctorate in nursing, while you're flipping houses and properties, and while you're building a coaching and speaking business. Is that correct? Okay. I Now, I know that, but I got to frame it up for the audience so we can get into what we're going to get into today. Because there's one word that I think of, well, there's a few words that I think of when it, when it comes to you. But one thing that really sticks out in my mind, and we, we, Monique, have never had this conversation between the two of us, but the word that I think of when I think of you is resilience, okay? And more than just resilience is the grace that you have to give yourself to be able to stay resilient and build that strength. As a matter of fact, your coaching company is called Strength Through Grace. And so I want to start right there. Monique, what does the word resilience mean to you? And how are you able to apply grace to that type of mentality, that type of mindset? So I, I think for me, resilience has been like my key factor. Perseverance and resilience is like everything that I've survived off of since I was a kid. I don't really know any different. So I've been asked this question a lot. Um, and for me, resilience is just standing, no matter mm -hmm. what's, no matter how it comes at you. For me, I always try to take the lesson behind it instead of looking at how bad it is. I want to see, okay, where, where did this go wrong and how can I, how can I just and pivot? Like, and I think I pivot constantly. So resilience for me is just standing. It's just being able to get up and there's days that that's a difficult situation. Right. But right. those is that I give myself grace and I say, okay, it's okay to just sit on the couch. It's okay to not be, uh, let yourself have, have that moment. Cause the moment won't last forever. It will pass, but it's okay to have that moment. Sometimes yeah. I need. Well, I mean, that's crazy to hear about cause that's not the answer I was expecting. Right. And that's something that, you know, when I think of grace, that's the one thing that, that I think of is like, when do I give myself permission to take the foot off the accelerator? Because if you're a high performance individual like you and I are, whether you're a man or a woman, it, and especially, and I don't know about your story, so we can get into it here in a second, but for a lot of entrepreneurs, we come from some sort of trauma as a child. And so what I have found as a speaker, a lot of times I'm working with people and getting their story out, but what they're actually doing is they're still living in this energy of trying to prove everybody wrong. And they get to a point where they're having so much financial success, so much business success, but they're so empty and broken on the inside because they've never given themselves permission to stop. And, yeah. and what I found as I've gotten older is there's no win that feels like enough. I get to the win and then I'm like, okay, cool. Like what's next? So let's let, like unpack that a little bit. Like, is that something that you had to learn? Was it something that you're taught? How were you able to know when to take your foot off the gas and rest? And then how do you, how did you originally start to deal with the thoughts and the emotions that were coming up that were saying not to? So I am a professional um, get busy when things get hard. So if um, I trauma, I will take on new projects. I will do all of the things because having to sit in emotion for me was so difficult. Mm. Probably in trauma most of my life. Um, I, and everybody has trauma, right? So like, I'm fortunate that my mom was very strong in the sense that she was always like, okay, so cry today and tomorrow you move. We don't, we don't live 
Um, but the problem with that is, is that when you live your whole life thinking, okay, today we cry and then tomorrow we move, there's never time to process. And so I think that started to really hit me um, a couple of years ago. I mean, my dad died two years ago unexpectedly in a motorcycle accident. I've dealt with a lot of death in my life, but there is nothing like losing a parent mm. unexpectedly. And so I think it was during that time that I really decided that I was going to feel my way through this one and I wasn't going to get busy and I wasn't going to hide. Um, I wanted to honor my dad and walk right. through the emotion of grief that came. And that was a process because I didn't know how to do it. I knew how to get busy. I was really good at that, but I did not know how to sit in that space and feel every emotion. And I, and I figured out that I really did need to give myself a ton of grace in this space because I was learning. I didn't know how to start. I knew how to get busy. I knew how to move. I knew how to cry today and move tomorrow, but that wasn't how it went with him. When his death, it was like a long process of trying to figure out how to like feel through that. So um, that's probably when it started for me is like, and then watching these parents struggle it requires so much grace that you allow Ugh. yourself to like know that you're not failing at this. You just don't have the tools that you, right. you don't know what you don't know. Right. And so I think grace just became like the underpinning word for me in the last two years of like it, you're requiring it everywhere you go all along your journey and your path. You're requiring yourself to give yourself grace and to give others grace to allow others to like, you know, screw up and not hold them, hold them to it forever, you know? Right. Yeah. You know, and I, 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 there's something that just came up. It came to mind as you're talking about parenting. And obviously, you know, we've had a brief conversations off, off camera. I just became a, a parent, a stepfather two years ago. And, and literally the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. It's like the greatest gift that God has ever given to me, especially the chance to be a stepfather. But something that you mentioned about trauma and being a parent, okay? And I want to get into that in one second. But before we do, trauma is, <clears throat> it's trending on social media. And it has been for a while. And it, I have this weird feeling about it. Because I know at this point in my life, Monique, that most adults are suffering from some sort of trauma. And so I know that there's a lot of people like you and I who are turned off sometimes by how much talk there is of trauma online, especially if you've never dealt with it. So uh, let's unpack that for a second. What, what can you explain to the viewers who may be like us, who hear trauma on, uh, on, on, on social media trending all the time, but what, what does that trauma mean? What does it look like? And, and can you expand a little bit about how, he, how, how you heal that by sitting in the emotion? You keep saying that, feeling it. What does that mean as healing trauma? And where does, where does this come from? So I think, I think trauma depends on your thought process of it, right? I think it's become a popular thing. Um, but my belief is, is that everybody has had something in their life that has felt traumatic to them, right? I don't know that there is a specific definition for trauma because I think it's your perception of mm. in your life that, you know, I look at things and I have these conversations with like my, my 20 year old where she feels like there was these huge events in her life that happened that were so traumatizing. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, that yeah. doesn't feel like it's that big of a deal to me. <laughs> so it's perception based, I think. Um, and it's become popularized where then you have, you have other people who have literally gone through trafficking in their life. They, you know what I mean? And that is some trauma, right? Um, 
So to me, it's perception and, yeah. and to be able to sit with it. Um, what that means to me is when a feeling comes, I'm not running from it. I'm not hiding from it. I'm not ignoring it. I am just going to say, okay, I'm driving down the street and the tears are falling out of my eyes. Yes. I don't know why that is, but, but I'm just going to be here in this moment right now. I'm not going to try to explain why it's happening. I'm not going to, I'm just going to be here. And then after I'm here, can I get curious about what's going on? Why does it feel this way? What happened? Was there a song? Was there a smell? Was there a, you know what I mean? That brought back this emotion. Mm. And I'm just curious, like, what is this? Where is this coming from? And then once I've gotten curious and maybe I've gotten some ideas of where it's coming from, then it's, have I processed through that all the way? Have I, have I felt every emotion in regards to that? Have I written out my feelings? Have I done all the processing that I need to do for that? Obviously not, because it's still showing up with tears streaming down my face. Right. And some things you're not ever going to process completely. And so for me, it's just become a, can I just sit here in this space while it needs to be here? Maybe those tears are falling for five minutes. Maybe they're falling for 15 minutes. Wow. Sit there, you know? And, and I think that with my dad, that's where it became is like, can I just tolerate these emotions right now? Because I think to get to the other side of anything, you have to go through it. I think you have to walk through all the darkness that's included in that and be able to get to the other side after walking yeah. there. Girl, you're giving me chills right now, all the way up and down my body. Like I could, I could not, I couldn't agree more. And I'm really sorry to hear about, you know, how you lost your father in an unexpected accident. I lost my dad last June and my, my parents have been separated since the time I was two. My father's side of the family, you know, not to pick on anybody, I love them dearly, but grew up in alcohol and violence and trauma and drugs. And I was, you know, every other weekend when I was little, I used to go there, but I didn't really grow up in that. And as I started to get older and I've dealt with my addiction and all of my things, <clears throat> and then I broke free from that, Thinking of my father and where they came from, the lifestyle doesn't apply to me. So the reason I'm even bringing this up, Monique, is because when my father passed away last year, um, it wasn't something that we were really expecting. He got sick in January with pneumonia, and then he was gone by May. And, um, and it just happened so fast. And the reason I say that is because I actually skipped my dad's funeral, which is crazy. I, the last three years, I was able to repair my relationship with my father. But as it pertains to what we're speaking about right now, it came down to the fact that I was sitting there and I was thinking about going to my father's funeral. And I was like, why am I doing this? I, we're going to go to a memorial thing at a bar. Everybody's going to be drunk and hanging out. And not that I'm judging everybody how they deal with their trauma. But like, that's not me. I, I don't need to go there to hold space to tell everybody else it's okay. Or, like, or to comfort them when it's like, where were you when my dad was struggling the last few years? And so I, I, I literally went out to uh, the back country up here by Glacier and I camped all by myself the day of this funeral and I was in a kayak and I was all by myself, literally journaling in this thing and feeling the emotion. And so one thing I want to share with the audience before we ask you my next question and tell me if you've ever done this before, Monique, but I started cultivating a practice about three years ago called uh, playing the conscious observer. And so what I would do is I would try to, when I was stuck in these traumatic moments where I wanted to go use or drink or distract, whatever it was, I would sit there and I would close my eyes and I would try to imagine what it would look like viewing Marshall Gillen from another part of the room. So let's say that I'm sitting here and I would close my eyes and picture what it looked like to walk into the door and see Marshall. And the reason I say that is because the better I got at doing that, when I found myself in the emotions that I wanted to like distract myself from, like you said, crying, maybe I just got out of a, a relationship. Like this is one of the things that happened, right? And I'm, I'm bawling. I'm, I'm like, why? The pain hurts so bad. I got really good at like removing 
myself and I, the marshal up here the conscious observer was like bro look at you you're really living man keep doing it you're really doing it you know and, and the marshal down here is crying like <laughs> you know but I'm, I'm feeling it I'm, I'm feeling that emotion and so this is the next thing that brings up that I want I want to get to and this is something I'm struggling with as a parent and as a leader and I know you'll be the perfect person to talk about because you coach people through this on my timeline especially on social media I'll see parents make a post about some interaction they had with their kid okay and it's usually parents that are separated and it's the it's the dad or the mom saying well i did this thing with my kid and i stood up and i told them that's not how you take it from the other parent and really i'm looking from this high level view going oh my god like that is such a traumatic way to look at it like you are so rooted in your trauma and you're passing it down to your kid and and most people they they wear it like a badge of honor like they're doing this great thing and so the question i'm asking you is as a parent we always want the best for our kids so in your experience so far how do you see parents pass that trauma down to their kids what does that look like and feel like so if there's somebody watching this they're, they're like man do i do that like what does that look like and what is the impact of that long term so the craziest thing is i think that the 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 word was always like generational stuff right like you're mm. passing stuff to me, it's more you are bleeding on your because you have an open wound that is unsolved. You haven't looked at it. You haven't addressed it. And you're just bleeding on your child. And the problem is, is that our kids watch everything. They listen. They watch. And so you can tell them all of the things, but they're watching you do the opposite. And so they're still sucking in all the things that you don't want them to get, right? Like, you don't. we always want what's best for our children. But like... When I start with a family, I always um, walk very delicately because parents typically don't know that they are actually the problem. The problem right. is um, usually when they come to me, they just want me to fix their kid. Um, and so I always walk very lightly into the fact that actually you're the problem. Um, and let's let's address that. Like, first of all, why do, why do you want to helicopter parent your kid? That comes from a fear you have. It doesn't come from the worry so much of your child, it comes from your fear of something that either happened in your life that caused you distress, um, or you're listening to so social media, this, that, whatever, whatever the case, your fears for your kids are not, a, they're yours, they belong to you, right? So all these little spaces where our life experience is now showing up for our children. So I walk my parents through a couple of different processes to, to get really clear about, first of all, like, what's your part in this? Where, where does this sit with you in your life? Um, for instance, if you're having a hard time with your daughter because of a boyfriend or something like that, where did that show up for you in your life? Like, cause that's really everything we do is from experience, especially in parenting. We're either trying to keep them from something that we experienced, or we're trying to be better than our parents we're trying to you know we're just trying to make it better right. really in all theory that's what we're trying to do but sometimes um we forget to look at the things that made us really strong our parents like for me i was a latchkey kid mm. right like i i was my parents both worked and all that stuff right so i, I was out playing until the street lights came on i was this and that my mom didn't know to have fear because that wasn't the thing back then right, right? and so for me I have to look at things like, what good was that for me? You know what? It made me a risk taker and it made me independent and it made me like critically think and all of those things because I was like figuring it out. 
Um, and now we don't let our kids figure out anything. We protect them from everything. We fix every problem. They don't ever have to be accountable to anything. And then you wonder why your 16 year old is not very cool to you. Well, because they don't have to be like, you just did everything, fixed everything, did all right. that. Stuff. So I think it's, I think it's really, you have to look at, at your own unresolved things and then how that's showing up in parenting. Cause it's, 100% and some of that is good and some of that is not so good and the not so good stuff you want to look at and address so that it will so you can so you can do something different with it yeah. right you know it's interesting because um I, I hear what you're saying and I the, these things have actually shown up in my most recent relationship over the last two years when I didn't even realize it was, it was a problem so let me explain to all the listeners and the viewers what I mean my mom, my dad left when I was two. My mom was remarried to a father, stepfather who was horrible to me. And it was just kind of unspoken. Like mom went to work all the time. I was with Phil on the farm all the time, unless I was at school. He was the biggest asshole in the world to me. So my mom kind of overcompensated, right? When my sister was born, <clears throat> she looked at how my life was and was like, Marshall grew up without a father. I am going to deal with whatever happens with me and Phil because I don't want Bryn to grow up without a father. I'm not going to do that to her. And so it kind of became the unspoken thing where Phil hated me because he thought my mom loved me the most. So he would give me this one extreme. And then on the other hand, mom, I was such a great kid and I was always such a go-getter that mom never had to really reprimand me. And she, she gave me the structure to go out and do the thing. But no matter what I did, she always praised me. You're the best. I love you so much. You're all these great things. But when things did, like push came to shove, mom was gonna rescue me. So the way that it shows up now inside of, as an adult, as a man, and I didn't realize this until I started dating my, my now fiance, is that my idea of what the feminine nature was supposed to be was always nurture. And so anytime within a romantic relationship growing up, if the woman didn't support me or think my ideas were the best or what, then also, I didn't know this, but then I was like, well, What's wrong with you? I'll just leave. Right. And I never realized this repeat loop that was caught until I was in this relationship. Somebody checked me and then I had the kids, which let's be honest, when you, you know, kids are like literally the ultimate reflection of us. It's like, whatever I don't, whatever, whatever I'm bitching at my kids about doing, I probably need to stop and be like, okay, Marshall, where in your life are you taking that exact same action? And so like, this is a massive deal. I mean, people don't realize as adults, even when we think we're doing the personal development, a lot of times there's things that are falling through the cracks. And I don't, I'm not saying everybody's been in a relationship at all. But when you're single, that's one of the things I always try, like, cracks me up about single like men's coaches or relationship coaches. When I'm like, first off, you get, without being in a relationship, how do you have a reflection to even understand like how you're really showing up? Because you can keep yourself nice and safe and without kids, kind of the same thing. And so the reason I want to bring that up is because you hit a lot of really good points. Let's say whether I'm single or, or in a relationship doesn't matter, but let's say I'm a parent who's listening to this podcast. You mentioned something that makes sense to me, but maybe not to everybody else. And you said, how can we take a step back and list out the emotions that we're feeling? So can you maybe just give me an exercise or maybe give me an example of if I'm a parent and there's turmoil going on in my kid's life and I haven't hired Monique yet, what are some things that I can do to start to get a clear picture on, is it me? Is it my kids? Is it how I'm showing up? Like, what is something I can do as an adult and a parent to start to see is this something I suffer from? So I always encourage my parents, especially when conflict comes up, stop and journal. And not like, I don't want you to have a prompt. I just want you to pick a pen 
put it to paper. Whatever comes out is what's supposed to come out, right? Like, so because in the struggle is where you're getting triggered. There's triggers going on right there in that moment. So if you can take 10 seconds to just stop and figure out why that's triggering you, like what's going on there, typically you can see, typically you can look back and you can say, oh, well, yeah, this is a pattern or, um, she rolled her eyes at me this, or I said this and she rolled her eyes. Why? What was going on in the moment? Like what, what started the fight? Cause if you can just stop for a second, like when you're charged, right? Like don't, you don't think through those things. Right. When you can just stop and you're not charged for a second and you can just put pen to paper, then typically something will show up that you can say, Oh, got it. Like for my daughter was in a relationship that I was struggling with because it was abusive for her. Um, and so it was a trigger for me because I had been in that relationship that was abusive. Right. And she couldn't see it. And I was so frustrated with her that every time that she brought it up, it was a trigger for me that caused conflict with her. Mm. Wasn't about her. She has to walk through that path. And I've always known that, but it was so triggering to me from my past relationship that it was constantly causing conflict. With her. So I started to just stop in our conversations and just say, okay, why is this affecting me? Like what is going on with me right now? That's triggering me so much. Um, and then I was able to give her the space to, to figure it out and just support her and love her and let her know that I was here when she was ready. Cause she would be at some point, she will figure this out and I'll be here. But if I had constantly done the conflict with her, she would not come to me. She would not, I, then she wouldn't have a safe place. And what did I want more? I wanted her to be able to come to me more than anything else. I, so I had to figure out how to get out of my own way, basically. Um, and I did that a lot through journaling. So I always encourage my parents, especially during conflict, that's the time. Um, take a second and just write. Even if, you're, even if you go through the whole conflict and you do the whole argument, when you're done, step away, take 10 minutes and, and just write. Like, how did I show up? Um, what did I not like about my showing up in this? How could I do better? Those are my, you know, if you, if you have to have prompts, those are the prompts that you need to have. But typically for me, I would rather you just put pen to paper because whatever's going to come out will come out anyway. But if you need the prompts, those are the ones that I would say to, to start asking. Powerful stuff. I mean, super powerful stuff to, to anybody who's never tried this. I think that they sometimes overlook it because it seems so simple that it's like, oh, first off, I don't have time. I, you don't understand. I got to get going. But I'm like, no, I mean, like I have journals all over the place for years for years <clears throat> just getting it out of my yeah. head getting onto paper i think people underestimate too and, and not to get all weird right but it's like you have this thought or this feeling and if thoughts are electric and feelings are magnetic and we have this electric magnetic energy inside of us it's like when you are able to transfer that energy through your hand through a pen and onto paper it, it really is a an emotional release of those things that you're carrying and i think that all too often you know we overlook the, how powerful something like that can be now just listening to you talk though Nikki, it kind of makes me laugh because we were watching um i don't know some show the other day uh on tv uh, uh as a family and there was like a teenage girl and she's sitting at the the table with the family and she's like having a meltdown you know <laughs> and i'm like i have two boys and i can't imagine what it would be like 
to raise a little girl. So, uh, and not like, you know, my mom always jokes with me. She's like, if I had had your sister first, she would have been an only kid, right? <laughs> so maybe to somebody who's listening, you know, it, is there really a difference between how you should parent a boy versus how you should parent a girl? Or is it by and large the same thing, but kind of a different iteration of it? I mean, what, what is the example do you have to parents listening versus boy, girl? So first of all, before we leave journaling, I want to say one thing. Please. It's important for your children to have a journal and Ooh. them the same thing that you do. They need to have a place to put emotions. They do not know how to regulate emotions yet. And so if you can teach them young, it is a huge for them. Um, and not only that, but you are never allowed to look at it. That is a absolute no-go, no matter how tempted you are. And the reason is, is because teenagers often put feelings into journals that they haven't processed yet, which means maybe it's fantasy, maybe it's anger, maybe it's whatever. And we as parents, when we look at that, we take things personally, we punish, and they will never use that tool again. It's wow. such cool so i say that because i'll get parents to go well i read the journal and it said blah blah, blah. and i'm like yeah and you know what do you really think she's gonna run away with bobby from freaking Oklahoma and get married tomorrow no she's a teenager she's right. just processing emotion so if we don't ever look at it we don't give that stuff wow. you know any thoughts so i just wanted to say that because it's something that is really really important all of my kids have used it it's probably saved my son's life multiple times to be honest yeah if nothing else happens in my whole entire day, Monique, I just want to stop real quick and say thank you. Like, what? Of course. I coach my boys. I have them reading books. We're doing the thing. We sit down and have our meetings. But you know what? I, I mean, I make them read, but I literally can't believe I've never thought to, add, to have them journal. Like, of course. Like, yeah. duh. Wow. Um, and especially because if there is one thing that Marshall is, as I am a helicopter parent. And I mean, I, I don't do the helicoptering like often, but I try to go into helicopter mode often and I catch myself and I'll be like, I'm being a helicopter parent right now, aren't I? And Josh will be like, yeah, <laughs> okay, I'm backing off, do your thing. But it's, it's because I've, instead of being triggered in those emotions when I wanna yell or I wanna lose my patience, I have to challenge myself to be a better communicator, yeah. right? Cause I'm like, what's the saying about communication? Um, it's communication is not what you say, but what the other person understands. And so for me, anytime that I'm having discord between my, me and my child, I have to ask myself, Marshall, are you as a leader in your home? Are you clearly communicating or are you letting your emotions make you short and impatient, which comes out then as yelling at the kids or right. trying to do everything for the kids? Just get away, I'll do it. And I'm like, what do they really learn by that? And opening up their journal, I mean, you want to talk about a breach of trust, like one way to never get your children to ever want to trust you or open up again is to constantly break that trust just like just like you would feel if any man did it to you or if any woman did it to a medic or vice versa so i think it's a really really excellent point there i really appreciate you sharing that we're going to start adopting that tonight so yeah. thank you good just tell them to just pick up the pencil and put it to paper especially when they're upset when they're mad when they're feeling sad any of those things because it's it's just a release of emotion yeah. that's it and that's all is, listen this is just a safe space to release emotion um but if they practice that now, they will always do it. And I'm telling you, for my, for my son that struggled with multiple things, it probably saved his life multiple times. And awesome. he started about 12. So, so one, yeah. of our, one of our live viewers here on Facebook, which by the way, you, you all, if you're watching the Marshall Gillen Show on replay, or if you're listening to this episode on podcast, remember on my Facebook channel, we stream these live almost every day, daily-ish. 
uh, getting back to it, just bringing you experts. But during this live, uh, one of our viewers, Erica, asked, can, we, can you repeat uh, the suggestions for the journal? So Erica, what she was suggesting that between, one is, we as people believe in journaling, but as a parent, if you find yourself in conflict with your child, Monique is suggesting that a good thing that she does with her clients is she, she prompts them or she coaches them to, in the middle of conflict, stop, grab your journal, or I mean, if you have to go through it, right, as you're saying, like, do the thing, but really, how can we stop ourselves? And without any prompts or anything fancy, just grab a journal, grab a journal and write out what is it that we're experiencing? What, what is the emotion? And maybe once the charge of the situation is gone, understand, okay, well, what was the trigger? And what emotion did that trigger bring up in me? And where else in my life do I feel this emotion? And when is the very first time I ever remember feeling that emotion? Because when you can start to go backwards and you can start to pinpoint, okay, well, this is what triggered me. This is the other spots in my life that I feel triggered into this emotion as well. And originally I remember this emotion as, boom, now we're starting to be able to get to the root of everything. And so I um, hope that answers your question, Erica. And thank you for tuning in, girl. Give us a like, give us a love if you guys are into this conversation. So <clears throat> this is very, very great. Girls, I'll tell you. Please. Yeah, yeah, please. <laughs> so I'm not a hundred percent sure. I kind of thought that I parented. So I have four, I have two boys and two girls and my boys are older um, than my girls. So I kind of thought that when I raised my boys, it was just based on that. I was 19 when I started. Right. And so I just didn't know any better. <laughs> and I felt like that's maybe why I raised the girls differently than the boys. But as I have really dove into things, no, it is a hundred percent different. Uh, even when I'm working with parents, I understand girl stuff better, right? Like, so I, I get all of the girls because I'm that, right? Yeah. So like I can connect there better. I, I loved being a boy mom. They were, they were great, but they have different uh, um, needs. So boys are typically the ones that want to go push the limits. They want to go take the risks. Yeah. They want to do all of that stuff, right? And the girls are more like emotional, like, oh, this crushed my life, you know? And I, I don't fit in and I don't this and I don't that. Where the boys are like, I just want to go jump off the branch and see if it works, you know? Like, so it is very different in, in your parenting styles, I think. My boys raced dirt bikes and they did everything as crazy as they could when they were kids. They had trampoline bikes, they were jumping off roofs, they were doing all the things. And for me, as a mom, I was always like, <gasps> you know, because it, it, it's horrifying. But also, I need, needed for my fears not to become their fears. So I had to myself basically we would get on their start lines and i would have them do visualization techniques through their whole race even though i feel like i gotta pee because i'm so nervous about them getting on this racetrack i needed them not to see me fear i needed them to know that it was okay for them to take risks and it was okay for them to live out their journey not my journey mm. um that, that was how it was with the boys and with the girls i had to learn how to be feminine because i did not know what that looked like at all Wow. My was very strong. She was very independent. She was very harsh, all of the things. And that's what I knew how to be, which worked really well with the boys. But with the girls, it didn't work well. And I really didn't want them to turn into hard. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I yeah. wanted to know it's okay to be soft. It's okay yeah. to feel. It's okay to show up in that space. Um, but I had to learn how to do it before I could teach them. So mm -hmm. together was me learning how to first of all, let go of the fear of judgment because it was huge. And I didn't realize it until my oldest son started to be very socially anxious. And I was like, I did this to him wow. because my 
life I spent telling him I don't do embarrassed when we walk into a restaurant or a store. And I had very well behaved kids because they knew I didn't do embarrassed. So I'm the one that muzzled them through through, through the fact that I feared judgment. I muzzled who they were able to be. Right. And so that was the expression of themselves. Yeah. I, I, and my daughter was starting to show signs of it, like around 13, 14. And I was like, holy crap, I got to get this together. And so I actually had to force myself to do things that were extremely uncomfortable for me so that she wouldn't walk that path. Like and what? so, like, so give like, me an example. we would go to Walmart and I would be like, I remember one time in particular, they had out all the masks and stuff for like Halloween and we got fully dressed up in costumes and we were running around Walmart, laughing, joking, playing all the things. But for me, oh heck no, that's a never because I don't like to be in front of, I don't like attention on me. I don't like any of that stuff because I was horrified of judgment, right? But for my daughter to not have that, I had to push boundaries Mm. for she could see me do something different. The the weight of what you just shared, um, man, that is what I deal with, Monique, the most. And I don't let it stop me, but it makes total sense to me now. I mean, just just thinking about situations like my whole body like wants to crawl right now, because um, I can't tell how many times in the last year and a half that I've had to go do something because of the boys that I just like absolutely everything in my body does not want, and it could be the dumbest thing, like bringing treats up to the coach. Uh, for all the kids like dad doesn't do that stuff dad doesn't go into the buildings and ask that question like stupid stuff right so let me god i mean like as soon as you said that i'm like oh my god i know exactly what you're talking about it's the worst feeling but you got to push through because you're right i don't want those limitations to become my kids limitations and that's something i say hyper vigilant of all the time i have to ask myself i'm like where am i placing my limiting beliefs on my kids and how do i stop that immediately so let me ask you this then monique because it brings up another question that, that i'm thinking of as a parent as a human being but as a parent especially right how then do we know when it is okay to be real and honest and vulnerable with our kids and when we need to hold back. I mean, because I don't want my kids to, to think that dad is just fearless because I, I believe that having a good, healthy, you know, uh, relationship with fear is important. So in your expertise, you know, through coaching, how do you as a parent balance that? How do I know when is it okay time to show the emotion and when do I need to be strong and push through? I always show it. Um, and I explain why mm-hmm. I'm still pushing. Um, so I am very big on honesty, honest with me. And I feel like if I don't show my kids who I am, why do I expect them to show me who they are? And so obviously age appropriate, right? I always have to tell parents this, obviously it's age appropriate and I'm not dumping my stuff on my children. So right. there is a difference. I'm not saying, oh my God, I can't pay the bills this month and blah, blah, blah. I'm, that's not it. Honesty in who I am, how I feel, why it shows up. I had to explain to Ashton, listen, girl, I'm probably not showing up the best here because you have a boyfriend that I know is abusive and it triggers my remembrance of my boyfriend that was abusive, right? So like, I have to explain to her, I'm sorry if this is how I'm showing up for you because I'm doing my best to deal with my own emotion around this. It doesn't have to do with you, it is about me. So for me, honesty always, vulnerability always, because that's what we want them to be. Yes. Explaining why. it's okay to be fearful, but you need to explain why you're fearful instead of just standing over and saying, no, you can't do this. Well, why can't I, you know what I mean? Like all kids want to be heard just like we do as adults. There's not a difference there. They want to be 
they want to be heard. So I use, I, I have used something, a tool with my kids and my coaching clients that I think helps to open those doors. I have called it the compromise tool, but you can use it just to explore really. So like for me, if my daughter comes to me, she wants to do something that I'm really not comfortable with. I'm scared of something or somewhere, you know what I mean? So I'll ask her first, why does it matter to you? Why do you think I wouldn't want you to do it? And then what's the benefits and what's the risk? Where's the compromise? So the reason why is because I want her to think about why I wouldn't want her to do it. If she wants to go to the beach at 10 o'clock at night, why would I not want you to do that? You know what I mean? Because it allows her to think about it as being the bad guy. You know what I mean? Of me saying no, it allows her to have some thought process behind why as a parent, I would think it's not a great idea. And then we look at the risks and we look at the benefits and somewhere in the middle, we'll find a compromise. But even if it's not around that, and it's just more about trying to open up your kids, you can do it without the compromise part of it because it allows exploration between her getting her own thoughts out and thinking, well, why does this really matter to me? Why is it important? So it allows her to think about, well, why would my mom not want me to do that? And it allows a connected relationship, I think, because they everybody's hurt. Yeah, they're part everybody's of it. Stuff is matters then, and it's not just a parent standing over saying no, because teenagers don't ever want to hear that. Right. But come to it on their own, it allows there to be peace in the home. Yeah. No, Works. absolutely, man. I, again, huge nugget for me. Like uh, the compromise tool. You're right. Why do you think Dad wouldn't want you to do this? The one thing I will say is I, I'm going to pat myself on the back a little bit because I have no idea what I'm doing as a parent, right? I'm feeling it out just natural as I go. Luckily, I have a, an excellent fiance to, to give me a structure. But um, that's how I deal with the kids too. Same thing. Like I didn't know what you were going to say to the answer of when it's okay to show emotion or not. But I just tell my boy straight up. I never claim to be anybody I'm not. I explain my emotions and my feelings. Um, one of the limiting beliefs that I found that I put on myself is that for a long time, I've dealt with a feeling of unworthiness, which I know a lot of people do. And for whatever reason, I have tied my monetary um, wealth. I've tied my how much money I have uh, to my, my worthiness. And right. so, you know, when money goes down, dad, dad, Marshall, dad, right? Marshall has always felt, um, has always felt like, you know, uh, constricted. I got to hustle. I got to do this thing to survive. And so even though I don't live in that anymore, when I got kids, I would watch them waste so much food. And maybe this is a dad thing. I don't know. Maybe it's a mom thing too, but it would drive me nuts. And, and, and what I realized the root of it was, is that I was always worried that I had to go buy more. Sure. And so there was an underlying issue where my unworthiness was still tied to my monetary value even though there was no connection, I thought I was way past it. Make enough money, I don't live in that anymore. But now all of a sudden I get kids and I'm screaming at them to do this and don't take that and I'm helicoptering it. You get one juice a day, like what are we fucking talking about, okay? (laughs) So I I totally get it and it's taken a lot of work to start to undo that because I don't want those limitations to become their limitations. There's something, I I love to keep these episodes to about 40, 50 minutes, Monique, because they say that uh, that's about the average time of a workout or your commute uh, home from work. So we will wrap this up in a second, but there's something I want to touch on before we finish this off. And it's right on this vein. And it's something that's super, it means everything to me, especially since becoming a parent. One of the biggest things I see is when parents separate, how the parent, one parent feels about the ex or the other parent, those limitations and angers that are like imprinted into the kids with whatever these backhanded comments we make or your dad or this or that. So I've got two part question. First part of the question before we end this, uh, this uh, interview, what's, what advice do you have to a parent who either she knows or he knows that they're living, like they do that, 
but they really don't want to do that anymore. What's the first piece of advice you have to a parent who's ready to make that change, who wants to stop villainizing the other parent? Where do they start? How do they undo that? Where, how do they become a better person? You know, I think that that's a struggle for so many people and I, it's a practice. Everything with this is a, is a practice. Um, you, first of all, you have to notice that what your thought is and if it's coming out of your mouth and are you in earshot of anything? Cause I'm gonna tell you, I thought that I was hiding everything from mm. my kids. Lies. You might be in your bedroom. My daughter's got her ear against the door and I don't, you know what I mean? So yes. it's okay to have emotion, but figure out where you're having it. And if they're an earshot of it, because it doesn't belong to them and you're damaging what, even if the relationship with the parents all here that, well, you know, he's terrible to her, maybe, but you know what? She's got to have that parent her whole life. So maybe we want her to not have any negative emotion that doesn't belong to her. It belongs to you. Wow. Practicing really like take notice, first of all, about your feelings and, and are you in earshot of somebody? If you need to go vent somewhere, find your best friend, do it in your car where nobody's around or whatever. I'm not saying don't have the emotion cause it's there, but practice noticing when it's there and who is around you when you're having it. Um, and, and for me, I, again, like I spent a lot of time in writing about that. Like I had to make peace, not only with him, but with me, um, where were my parts in this? Because that's what oftentimes in divorces, we don't acknowledge where we went wrong. It's always the other person. Right. Let me help you out. There's always two people in every single relationship. So you have a part, start looking at it so you can forgive yourself, which will allow you to forgive him. But you got to, look at that stuff if you're not willing to look at it, it won't ever change and then you bleed on your kids with stuff that doesn't belong to them wow yeah that's powerful and you're right i think that's a huge thing i think that's like you're right first let's start right is that we always want to assign blame uh to somebody else but really then how can we and i think that's the most integral part of any kind of success personal development really in whatever area of your life or business or relationship is first ask what is my role in this yeah. that's why i just said earlier about the kids i'm like well okay i'm yelling at josh for walking by the trash for the fourth time. What do you mean you didn't see it? You literally had to step over it. Okay, Marshall, <laughs> where in your life, Marshall, are you continuing to step over the trash? Oh, well, gee, let's see the production of my podcast, the consistency of this, that like, it list goes on. Yeah. And so it's like, how can I integrity sit here and bitch at Josh when Marshall's the same person to do the same thing? And so I think that's excellent advice. And you kind of wrapped it up. But this is the last question I'm gonna ask you before we go. And this is the part that my heart bleeds for because I've seen it firsthand. And that is relationships. Most parent, most people my age, uh, most millennials these days um, are come from a divorced home, right? Like it just, it just is. And it often comes from a man who's still a grown child. Who's never had a rite of passage. Who's never really accepting anything and kind of just, that's the man. So Marshall Gillen's journey is to help that man. But for the woman over here, and I think one of the reasons it's so on my heart is because my fiance KJ went through it for so long. My mom went through it. <clears throat> the last thing I want to know is if you had a message to the woman out there right now who's listening to this podcast, who she has kids, she does the job, she's all alone, and she is just so up to her ears, like stressed out, beyond thinking anything could ever change, the constant fighting in the home, like she's drowning but she wants to have more success. To that woman, what is a message you could give her today to get her on the right track, to help her see the light, to know, to let her know that there is hope and it can change? Like, what do you have to say to her? So I was that girl, um, you know, 12 years ago, and I didn't figure it out until probably four years ago. But for me, it came through allowing myself grace, 
being gentle with myself through the process and knowing I was doing the very best that I could possibly do. And mm. then just persevering, just standing through it because it passes. I dreamt a lot. I journaled dreams and goals. And then the more that I looked at those things, the more that I wanted to go do them. And I, and I started to push through kind of some of those emotions, but it took me a really long time. And I think it's okay that it took a long time. That was my journey. That's where I was supposed to go. That's what I was supposed to do. But being gentle on yourself and having grace for yourself through that is a really big deal. You have to forgive yourself for all the things that you think you did wrong uh, and got to love yourself through that stuff and be gentle. Yeah. And then get to the point where you have have been where you know that you're worthy and you're good and you're all the things right then you can look at like now how do i build a business and now how do i get all this stuff but you're never going to do that from a broken space yeah. you're 100 yeah. right this is really the last question but because someone thing came up from there how important then would you say it is to have a support system around you to be able to do that i mean what is how important is that huge it's huge i don't i didn't start my first business until i joined my first mastermind and hired my first coach I would not have been able to do it without the cheerleading squad because I didn't have one for so many years. I would have probably caved, but yeah. I've had so many people around me now that don't allow me to cave. They're pushing, they're, they're, they're doing all that stuff and it helps. Tons. Um, I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, I have my, my puppy up here and a mom must be home because she's going nuts. So I'm like, sit. So sorry for the distraction, everybody. We're going to wrap this up, but no, I a hundred percent agree. And I, I love that you said that, right? It's like, we can try to do these things alone, but it's the support system. And it's not just the cheerleader. I know you would agree, but it's also the person to hold you accountable when you don't want to hold yourself accountable. It's the tough, tough love combined with the nurturing. And I, that's why I'm such a massive believer in coaching. So check this out before we say goodbye to Monique. I want any of you who are parents who are struggling with your teenagers, struggling with your toddlers, struggling with your kids in general, but really because you know you're struggling with yourself, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to add Monique on social media. I want you to reach out to her and I want you to send her a message because whether you end up working with somebody like her or not, whether you end up with coaching or not, I'm telling you, having an experienced woman like Monique who's been through so much, who's accomplishing so much, who's continuing to push her own limits and boundaries while also reaching down and bringing other people up, like I can't, I can't overestimate. That's not the word I'm looking for, is it? I can't, uh, I can't stress enough the importance of that. So do me a favor, Gil and gang, if you know that you're somebody who's a parent that needs some help, reach out to Monique. This has been awesome. I wasn't sure what to expect today, girl, but like you're on fire. This has been so valuable. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. Yeah, absolutely. Where can people find you on social media? Um, I'm just at Monique Davis. Monique Davis. Cool. You guys heard it here. Add her up. Thank you so much for your time. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. How about that, Gillen gang? Another episode in the books. You guys know how big, how important parenting has become to me and starting to heal this generational trauma and being able to give our kids the things that we never had, right? I want to say, you know, uh, you're very, very welcome, Erica. Janet, thank you so much for joining in. I just want to say the last thing before we end this show, all of us, most of us anyways, most of us have promised ourselves we would never become the parents that we had not because we want to be against our parents, but because we always wanted better. So we always promised ourselves we won't, let, we won't be the parents our parents were, right? My question to you is how many of you are failing at holding yourself to that truth? And this is not to judge you or make you feel bad. I'm just saying, hey, yo, like if you're not making enough money in business, you should hire a coach. You should go get somebody to help you. If you're not getting the results in your family and with your kids and with the feelings and emotions you're having yourself, you should get some help, all right? I 
love you guys. This has been awesome. And remember, if you guys have a story and an expertise that you want to share with the world and you want to turn it into a speaking and coaching business, make sure you reach out or visit me at toppaidspeaker.com. We'll make your dreams come true. I love you guys. And as always, your message, your message, your story matters. Go out and tell it to somebody. I love you and I'll see you guys next time.